I want to share from the Word of God, and uh, as we do every week, and that is so important. And, and just by way of a little bit of review, over the last number of weeks, we've been asking the question, why we? And then we follow it with one or two words. We've been asking during this time, why do we do the things that we do? When we do them, sometimes we do them without thinking about them. Sometimes we do them and we don't agree with it. But why, why do we do the things that we do? And so we've been asking this question, why do we believe? Why do we believe in Jesus Christ? Why him? <coughs> Some people, the question is, the answer is very obvious. is because he's God. Well, and that's certainly true, but, but why? And we, we looked into the word, why why do we believe? And then, and then the question, why, why do we pray? and Why do we seek him in prayer? Why is that important? Why, is that, why do we believe that is powerful? Why do we belong? If, we're, if we believe in him and we seek him, why do we then belong together? <coughs> why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we praise? Last week I shared why, why do we hope? I have had more people come up to me in the last week and say, don't ever tell a story like you told last week. Some of you were very, very nervous as I was sharing that story, and some of you who were claustrophobic were about ready to, to uh, run out into the parking lot screaming. But thank God that in all of the times that we have found all of us, if you've been serving Jesus for any period of time, you have found yourself in an upside-down, difficult, dark place that is almost despairing. We've all been there. But aren't you glad that Jesus is there? Why do we hope? Why do we hope in hopeless places? And so we've been asking these questions. All of those things that I just mentioned are things that, that we do. All of those things are because we're in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all predicated upon that. It's all based upon that. If I am in a living relationship with Jesus Christ, if I believe in him, then I'm going to pray to him. If I'm in a living relationship with him, then I'm also in relation with you and we belong together. If I'm in a relationship with him, then I'm going to praise him and I'm going to serve and I'm going to give and I'm going to hope. It's all based upon relationship. This thing called serving Jesus is a relationship with the, the living God. It's relationship. And so many of the things that I just mentioned are things that we do. We pray we belong, we serve, we give, we praise, and we hope. These are things that we do. This morning, this morning, I want to talk about three words, and that is why we don't. Why we don't. And I have to tell you right up front that, that I knew probably two months ago that I was going to be preaching this message and I said, Lord, that's going to be a challenging message. Not because it's not important, but because it can be so easily misunderstood. Why we don't. Now, I know that statement, just that three-word statement that's in front of you right now, why we don't, that is a disturbing statement to some people. If that is you, please don't rush for the exits at this moment. I have heard, and you have heard many, many times, that this thing called Christianity is simply a system of do's and don'ts. You've heard that. Maybe you even actually use that expression. Well, we're, we're just a system of do's and don'ts. That's what we, it's, and, 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 and it's almost with the understanding that there's more don'ts than do's. 
And sometimes the don'ts get more attention than the do's get attention. I've heard it, I've used it. Some persons, some persons, in an overreaction to either legalism or license, want nothing to do with hearing about don't. Don't tell me I shouldn't do this, or don't, don't tell me I, I can't do that. Well, this morning, here's what you will not hear. You will not hear me saying you can't do something, because the fact is you can. We have a free choice. We are built that way. God built us that way, and you will see in the Word in just a few moments how God planned us that way. Neither will you receive from me an extensive list of things that we can do and things that we cannot do. You will never receive from me at the door an extensive list. These are the 42 things that we do and these are the 84 things that we don't do. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about what don't we do. I'm saying why we, why we don't this morning. Please, in this, in this series of explaining why we, we do certain things, it's really important to explain also why we don't do certain things. That's also very important, and so I want you to stay with me this morning. Our basis <coughs> in all of it is continuing to be in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to please turn in your Bibles to the section called Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. If you're taking notes this morning... The first thing that I want to establish is quite simply this. We don't because God in his word says don't. We don't do some things because God in his word said don't do some things. Book of Genesis. The book of Genesis um, gives the account of the six days of creation. Everything that we see, everything that we can experience, everything that we can look up and see in the heavens, everything that we see here, um, on earth uh, that, that is natural, God made within those six days, including mankind. All animals, all plants, mankind, uh, the, the stars in heaven, the universe, everything, light, dark, um, within those six days. Man was created on day six. And God put both man and woman, the Bible tells us here in Genesis, that God put both man and woman in a beautiful and perfect place called Eden. Sometimes we call it the Garden of Eden. Eden, just kind of by way of explanation, the Bible tells us that Eden contained every kind of amazing food. In fact, Genesis 2, verse 9 says this, God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's an important verse. Understand what's happening here. Here's this infinite variety. In all of this infinite variety, every plant that we have today, it started there, with maybe the exception of the thorns, which were dormant, of course, at this point. That would come later. That's another story. But but everything that we have today started there. there. God created all of this stuff in this beautiful and perfect place. And, and there, was, there was food of every kind. With all of this infinite variety, every kind of tree, every kind of plant, with all of that, God, uh, that variety, God made two trees, he said, unique. 
the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There were two trees that were different from the others. They were a one of a kind tree or two of a kind tree. There weren't multiples. There was one tree called the tree of life and another tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verse 16, a few verses later in chapter 2, God said this, you are free to eat, he's telling this to to mankind, to, to Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat, please notice the word not, he said you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So with all of this infinite amount of amazing food, God said you must not eat from just one tree. Everything else was available. Everything else was good. God said, eat as much as you want. Eat, eat all you want. <coughs> if you want something different tomorrow, then just go a little bit further down the way. There's all kinds of food, and it's all available to you, but not that tree. God said, not that tree. God told Adam, experience it all. Enjoy it all. Do it all, but not from that one tree. Please notice that the do's far outnumbered the don'ts. I don't know how many trees there were that they could eat from. I don't know how many there were. Maybe, maybe hundreds, maybe even thousands of different trees from which they could eat. But God said, there's one tree, don't eat from it. In some ways, it's the same way today. So many things to do, but some things God says don't. And I'll explain why, again, here in a few moments. But it's the same way today. You think of all of the things that are available to us as people today. Wonderful things. Wonderful things that can occupy our time and our attention. There are so many things that are available to us, perhaps more now so than at any other time in history. Things that are available to us. Good things. But there are certain things God said don't. And there's a reason he tells us. Much later, and many of you know this and we won't read these because there's quite a bit to it, but much later, God's people were given what we call the Ten Commandments. Have you ever noticed that seven of the Ten Commandments begin with the words, you shall not? You ever think about that? Seventy percent, seven out of ten, of the Ten Commandments, seven of ten, start with, you shall not. So sometimes when people say, well, you know, it's just a, it's just a system of do's and don'ts. I, I'm very quick to tell them, you know, God has provided so much for us, but you're right, there are some things that he says don't. I often take them to this. And I explain why they are there. Uh, for those of you who know this, the Ten Commandments can really be divided in two. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. Remember, as I mentioned earlier, so much of it comes down to relationship. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The last six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. That's why loving God is very important and loving people is very important. Jesus, in fact, himself said, upon these two laws, the loving God with everything in you and loving people as yourself, upon these two laws, the whole law rests. God gave those things to us, and seven out of ten of them, he said, don't do this. Why? Because, because he wanted to protect our relationships with each other and with him. God said don't. But why did God tell us not to do certain things? At risk of oversimplifying, for much the same reason that wise parents tell their children, you cannot do that, 
You cannot say that. You cannot have that. Don't raise your hands to this, but did you ever as a child hear that from your parents or did you ever as a parent say that to your child? And I would say that that the answer would be across the board, yes. Every one of us have either said it or heard it. Or we've heard parents or been parents who said, (coughs) you will do this. My wife and I have three children and and um, we did that a lot, particularly on in their early years as they were first growing up and, you know, those formative years. I think they're all formative, but particularly early on. And, and I remember telling them a lot of times, you can't do that. And, and, and one in particular, I won't, I, I, won't, I won't say which child, but she would often say, she would often say, well, why? I mean, she was so quick to, to ask why. The others, they would just do it, but but one, our, our, our daughter would, would so frequently say, why do we need to do this? And I would have to explain the why. But there was always a why because I wanted her to understand there's a reason for this. Wise parents know that unless children are instructed on what to do and what not to do, they could miss out on all the good things that, that they have planned for them. Parents know that, that we, have to, we have to say no to some things and we have to say yes to some things so that the great plans that I as a parent have for my child are going to be carried out. If a parent, if a parent sees their small child reach for the handle of a boiling pot of water, that parent will warn, they will shout, they will slap hands away, they will do whatever it takes to keep that child from injury or death. I once knew of a, of a woman who her child was reaching and she did a full body tackle towards that child. It tipped the pot and it came on that mother's back and she was glad that it did because it protected her child. She was going to do whatever it took to protect her child even if the child was momentarily angry with her. In the same way, in much the same way, again, at risk of oversimplification, so it is with God. In His mercy and His love, God often tells us, don't, because God sees more than we can see. As a parent can see more than their child can see, our God in heaven looks down and says, I love you so much that I'm going to tell you, don't do that. Sometimes we get really upset and we say, God, why do you say I can't do that? Why do you say don't in your word? Because God loves us and God cares for us. There's another reason why we don't, and that is because we died to sin and we're alive in Jesus Christ. Talking to believers now, in fact, the book of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 is also speaking to believers and it says this, if then you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What is this Reference this wonderful, actually the first 12 chapters of Colossians chapter 3 are just powerful. But what are these three verses telling us? They're telling us that if you have been raised up with Christ, if you have been transformed in your heart and in your mind, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus, then there's going to be this internal change and the very desires within us are going to be altered. We are going to think differently look at things differently, understand things differently, say things differently because Jesus is alive in us. That's what happens. We, we, we don't because we died to sin and we're alive in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is, is kind of like 
the Colossians reference, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the great privileges that I've had as a follower of Jesus Christ is to see other people come to Christ and see their lives transformed. To see their very behavior transformed. I mean from darkness to light, from one extreme to the other extreme. And sometimes it goes very quickly. Other times it takes a while. It's called the process of discipleship. But I love to see how people, their very desires are transformed. I mean from one week to the next. (coughs) They come to Christ. He begins that inner transformation in them. And all of a sudden they start doing things, saying things acting differently because of that transformation. It isn't, it isn't, oh, you come to Jesus Christ, now here's a list of those 42 things to do and the 84 things not to do. No, rather, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in making this inner transformation, and now we do things differently. We do some things we never used to do, and we don't do some things we used to do. We don't. I still haven't. I still haven't given you a list of of things to do and things not to do, and I won't. There's another reason why we don't. We don't to protect our relationship with God and with other people. Again, it all goes back to our relationships. Genesis chapter 39, a little bit later in the book of Genesis, a long time has passed. Abraham has come and gone. Isaac has come and gone. Jacob is come and he's almost gone, or will be shortly. But by Genesis chapter 39, it contains the story of a man named Joseph. Not the New Testament Joseph, who was the earthly father of Jesus, but the Old Testament Joseph. Among other, excuse me, among other things, Joseph was a slave in ancient Egypt. He was sold to a man named Potiphar. And in Genesis chapter 39, verses 4 and following, says this. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight, and he attended him, and Potiphar, this is the slave owner, made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. Joseph's story is a classic example of a man, a godly man, doing the right thing in a less than perfect place. Let me say that again. Joseph's story is a great example of a godly man doing the right thing in a less than perfect place. For just a moment here, I want to challenge every man here. Men, I want to challenge you. Men, regardless of age. Men, regardless of responsibility. Be the godly man who does the right thing regardless of where you are in life. You are, many of you will look at your lives right now and you say, I'm in a less than perfect place. By the way, we are all in a less than perfect place. And while we, men, are in a less than perfect place, I challenge you by the power of God, do the godly thing. Do the right thing, even if you're in a less than perfect place. Joseph's life is an example of that. Verse 7 reads this way. After a while... Remember, he's a slave under Potiphar's house. While his, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, and she said, come to bed with me. But Joseph refused. With me in charge, 
he told her. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Here's this man, this godly man, in a less than perfect place, still doing the right thing. With all of his responsibility, here's this man, tremendous responsibility, tremendous opportunity around him. Now you think of this, he, he is a slave, but he's a slave with such responsibility, it says that he, he, he was a major player in this household. Something needed to be purchased, he made the decision. It wasn't his money, it was his boss's money. He made the decision. If something needed to be addressed or fixed in the house, he was the guy who arranged it. If plans, travel plans needed to be made, he was the guy who did it. Uh, if, 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 if something needed to be arranged, he was the guy. He was a very responsible man. He had oversight. It was an amazing thing for a slave in Egypt at that time. He had all of this responsibility except one thing he couldn't touch, and that was the boss's wife. It's kind of like Adam and Eve back in Eden, right? God said, you've got all of this responsibility. You have all of this opportunity, but don't touch that one tree. I wonder, I wonder, I can't help but wondering if Joseph maybe thought, because he would have known the, he known the, the events of, of, of Eden a long time before. He, he would have known that. And, and, and I wonder if he thought, you know, this is, this is kind of like, like Adam in, 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 in the Garden of Eden and, and, and how he and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That didn't go very well for him or for all of us. God said, you could have it all, but not that one thing. I wonder if he thought to himself, I have all this responsibility, but one thing I can't touch. It's the boss's wife, and he tells her this. He tells her this. He knew that going to bed with her would damage his relationship with others. Oh, it might help it in the short run. I mean, all of a sudden, the boss's wife is giving him attention, and, and, and asking for sexual gratification. and Wow, this, this may be good for me and for her in the short run, but he's a smart man, he's a godly man, and he knows that in the long run this is going to destroy this relationship, and it'll eventually destroy me. Because she'll get tired of me, and she'll move on to someone else, and I'll be history, and I'll be dead. He also knew that if I did this, eventually, these things are always found out, eventually the boss is going to find out about it, and I won't last till sunsets. He knew that it was going to damage or destroy his relationship with other people. But he also knew that it was going to damage his relationship with God. Remember what he said? He said, How, he said my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife, that human relationship. But then he said this, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Here's this man who, who, who realizes that the most important relationship in his life is the one with his heavenly father. And he says, how can I do that? This wasn't, well, there's, there's a list of do's and don'ts, and the boss gave me the list when I first arrived here, and number one is don't touch the boss's wife. No! No one told him that. He just knows it because he's a man of God. And he says, there are going to be some things that I do. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give it everything I got. But there's going to be some things that I don't do, and that is, number one, don't touch the boss's wife. Why? Because it'll damage my relationship with her, with my boss, but more importantly, with my Father in heaven. And I can't do that. You see, there are things, there are opportunities that we have. 
And sometimes we're tempted to, to give in because we're in difficult circumstances. And sometimes we have these little conversations go on inside of our heads and we'll, we'll say something like, well, it's okay for me because of this particular thing in my life. Or I, I'm in such a circumstance right now that, that it's okay for me to do. I know what the Bible says. I know the Bible says it's wrong. In fact, the Holy Spirit's kind of convicting me a little bit about it. But I'm going to do it anyway because... I have some unique circumstances. Listen, some of you may be thinking, well, pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know my world. You don't know the challenges that I'm under right now. And there have been many times as a pastor in which I've heard people defend ungodly behavior because they think their circumstances are unique. I won't go into detail, but I've heard it many, many times. Well, pastor, I can't afford to do it this way, so I have to do this. Or, Pastor, I'm in this relationship, but it's okay because we're... And, and, and there's so many times where that has happened, and they've defended ungodly behavior. But if you're, thinking, if you're thinking that anything like that today, you need to know that many people live in your world. You need to know that many other people face similar pressures and similar temptations you need to know, you need to know that every person here today, every person seated around you, every person here today is going through some kind of a trial right now. There's not an exception to that. Every person here today is going through some kind of a trial. But if you think, <coughs> excuse me, if you think that your challenges are unique and your circumstances and trials somehow make you exempt from God's timeless principles, if you think that you have a pass from God because of your unique circumstances, well then you are listening to a lie from Satan. You're listening to a lie from Satan. Satan will always tell you it's okay for you. It's okay because of this. It's okay because this is or is not happening in your life. That if you continue, if you continue, this, allow this to serve as a warning if you continue your relationship with others, and more importantly, your relationship with God, will be damaged or destroyed. Why does God say don't? Why does his word repeatedly on so many things, well, there's more do's than don'ts. There's more things available to us than things that, are, that we're warned away from. But why does he often tell us don't do that? Because he cares about our relationships. Husbands and wives, he cares about your marriage. Parents and children, he cares about your, your relationship with your parents or with your children. Friends, he cares about your relationship with each other. And if you persist, and Holy Spirit's warning you away, but if you persist, it'll be destroyed and quite possibly your relationship with God. There's one more reason. Oh, there are others, but only one more that I'm going to share today. One more reason why we don't do certain things, and that is we don't because our spiritual senses are in place. We don't because our spiritual senses are in place. Because we're in Jesus Christ, because if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have submitted your life to him, if you've committed your life to him, and, 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 he's, and he's dwelling within you, then we have a heightened sensitivity. As I mentioned a few moments ago, when we come to Jesus Christ, and it happens very, very quickly, he begins that inner transformation, and all of a sudden we're awakened to senses that we did not have before. 
It's a spiritual sensitivity that cannot come by simply learning something here, but experiencing something here. But when we truly experience a living relationship with Jesus Christ, suddenly we, are, we have a heightened sensitivity to certain things. And our spiritual senses are put further, are, are put in place. They're, they're, they're established. Recently, I want to explain a, a way that this can go wrong. Recently, I read two similarly worded headlines that reveal a sensory disconnect. I read two headlines that, that reveal a sensory disconnect. The first headline was this, should Christians watch Deadpool? Saw this, and I read this in an article, and I didn't know what a Deadpool was, so uh, I'm kind of out of touch, I suppose, in some ways. And I didn't know what Deadpool was, so I looked it up, and I read the, I read the article. Deadpool is a new superheroes movie Unique in that it's among the first of its genre to include nudity. The other headline, in fact, it was, it was a similar headline, almost worded exactly the same, um, and it was, I read it within a week of the other headline. This headline read this way, Should Christians Watch Game of Thrones? That is a title of a series on a premium, ca- uh, premium, premium cable channel which also includes nudity. Now, I have to tell you that both headlines really bothered me. They really bothered me. Not for what they ask. I understand the asking, and you can ask any question. But the headlines bothered me not for what they ask, but for what they reveal. They reveal, even even asking that question reveals a spiritual shallowness and a failure to declare wickedness for what it is. Because the question, the question being asked in both headlines was essentially this, can Christians view pornography? That's really what it is. Can Christians, is it all right? This is is showing all of this, but is it all right for Christians to do that? And that's what disturbed me so much because I thought, really, is that a question that must be asked? Is that something that has to be considered? Really, have we come to the point where people's spiritual sensors have been rendered so insensitive that when, the, when something comes out, and it may, be, it may be very well done, it may be in a genre that's very popular right now, but the question being asked essentially is, is it all right to view pornography? And then people will argue, well, it's really not pornography, and yet it is. Now, I I have to tell you, it may sound a little bit like I'm just refuting what I just said, but in the years that I've served as your pastor, I have never publicly said to a congregation, do not go to that movie or do not read that book. Do not listen to that song. Do not vote for that candidate. Don't go to that place. I don't think I've ever done that. In the 20 years I've served here as pastor, in the five years that I served before, in 25 years, there's a lot of different stuff that can come down the pike, a lot of different print media and movie media and stuff on television, stuff you can listen to, places that you can go. There's just a lot of places. I don't think there's ever been a time where I stood up on this platform or any other, and said, don't go to that movie. That book, that 
that book series or that, that title that's big right now. Don't read that book. I've not done that, and I won't now. Now, some people have become very angry with me because I have not called out specific persons or places or titles in a public setting, but let me tell you why. It's not because there are no reprehensible movies, books, songs, places, or candidates. There are. There are. There are movies, books, songs, places, and candidates that are absolutely reprehensible that are not worth the time. There are those things. But it's not my responsibility to give you a list of what is good and what is not. It is my privilege and responsibility as a pastor, as a Christian leader, to assist people in growing to such spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ that they can determine both godliness and wickedness from a distance without me telling them what is and what isn't. That's my responsibility. To stand here and, and lead a congregation, lead people individually. And let me tell you, there have been many times one-on-one where I've questioned people and I said, what, what are you doing? Why are you watching that? Why are you reading that? Why are you going there? Why are you doing that? Because it's an indication of what's going on in their heart. There have been many times where I've called people out one-on-one. But I won't do it publicly like this. I won't do it here in this setting. Because my responsibility as a pastor is to lead people into spiritual maturity. So again, that they can determine what is godly what is righteous and what is unrighteous from a distance, and they don't need me to do it. I'll tell you, most, most of you or all of you, have, man, I don't know, many of you have my cell phone number. I can't imagine how crazy it would be. Pastor, is it all right for me to read this book? I'll say, man, you determine that. God's presence is dwelling within you. You have spiritual sensitivity. You answer the question. You see, I have neither the time nor the desire to review everything that's out there. Can you imagine, have, out there in the foyer, if we were to do this, out there in the foyer, we'd have a bulletin board specifically for itself. These, this, these are the titles and the things that you can watch this week. Uh, these are the ones to avoid this week. And next week, there'll be another list out there. Can you imagine that? I, I, I knew a church many years ago when I first began pastoring. There was a neighboring community and a pastor it was, it was a, and, and the pastor would, would determine all major decisions in people's lives. If you, if you wanted to get married, you, you, had to, you had to check with the pastor. If you wanted to have a baby, you had to check with the pastor. That's crazy. <coughs> if you wanted to buy something, you check with the pastor. It was a church of about 12 people, but you understand why. <clears throat> It's not that pastor's responsibility. It's that pastor's responsibility to lead people and to to share people and to proclaim God's word and lead people into spiritual maturity so that they are fully equipped to determine what is godly and what is not. That's That's what we're called to do. We are, however, we, and by we, I don't mean a pastor, I'm talking about we as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to be so in tune with Jesus Christ. We are to be so aware of His Word. We, you and I together, are to be so healthy in our conscience. We are to be so sensitive to the leading of His Holy Spirit that when we see or when we sense something that is wicked, we recognize it for what it is and we reject it outright. We go, that's wickedness! 
It's wickedness. It's darkness. I'll have nothing to do with it. I'm not going to call the pastor. I'm not going to call the deacon. I'm not going to call that Christian friend and say, is this good or bad? You'll know what it is because your spiritual sensors are up and running. Do you know, um, do you know I mentioned a few moments ago that I grew up on a cattle ranch. Do you know that you do not have to grow up on a farm or on a ranch to know that cow manure should be avoided? How many know that? You, you could have never walked on a farm or a ranch your whole life, and you will know that it is something to be avoided from a distance. <laughs> Last week I was talking about claustrophobia. This week I'm talking about cow manure, but it is what it is. Do you know that from a distance, your eyes, if your eyes are functioning properly, your eyes from a distance will go, that is cow manure. But if your eyes aren't functioning, you get a bit a little closer, and then your nose kicks in, and your nose tells you, that is cow manure. But if your eyes aren't functioning, and your nose sense isn't functioning, you can get real close, and you can dip your finger into it, and you can swirl it around. You can hear the flies buzzing around it, and you'll know by that time that's cow manure. Here's the problem. Because the other two senses weren't working right, you're now so close to it that now the cow manure is on you. Now that's pretty important. The cow manure is on you. And you're going, and you're going, oh man, oh man. I can't help but want, this headline prompted this. I can't help but sometimes if there are followers of Jesus Christ and their, 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 their sensors are not all operating, so they have to get up real close and personal and say, well, is this really evil? Is this bad? Can Christians watch this? I don't know. Now it's on them. There's one more sense. Think about it. There's one more sense. And sadly, some people will go all the way to ingest filth before they realize just how vile and potentially deadly something really is. And they'll go, oh, there's nothing too bad about that. Never tried that before. And they ingest it. And it infects the whole system. It becomes systemic. It's not limited to just something far off. Now it's something that's up close and personal. I haven't just exposed myself to it. I've actually taken part of it into me. And it can be potentially deadly. We don't because our spiritual senses are in place. See, that's what bothers me so much about questions like the aforementioned headline. Because the problem isn't, well, no one told me it was bad. No, the problem is that some persons who claim faith in Jesus Christ have spiritual senses that are not sufficiently in place to determine good from evil. And I've heard people say, well, the, this person does it, so I guess it must be all right. When somebody says that, that means that their sensitivity is, 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 is dull. The Bible tells us this. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let me help you this morning to, to allow the Word to help us with our spiritual sensitivity. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, I believe, is given to us as a bit of a template And without doing an injustice to Scripture, you see the last line there where it says, you are to think about these things. And while it may seem like I'm adding to Scripture, I don't think I'm doing it any injustice. Read about such things and watch such things and talk about such things and hang around people who think such things. And if they don't, or if it doesn't, then reject them. There are so many things that we do because we're followers of Jesus Christ. There are so many things that we do. We believe and we pray. And we belong and we praise and we give and we serve. We trust. There are so many things that we do as followers of Jesus Christ because He has transformed us. But folks, I have to say it. There are also some things that we don't do because we're followers of Jesus Christ. I still haven't given you a list, and I won't, because it's not what we don't do, it's why we don't. This morning, I want to challenge you, allow the Holy Spirit to do a search of your life. Are there some things, and there are many, there are many in the Word of God, many places where it says, don't do this. There are many things that we would not always characterize as really, really bad things, but the Bible says don't do them. We need to be people, students of this Word, so sensitive by the Holy Spirit that when we read it, we go, oh, there it is. I was reading through Proverbs. I read through Proverbs every month as a part of my devotions, uh, along with a lot of other Scripture just in my devotional time, but I was reading a particular chapter in Proverbs and I came across it and I read it and I went, Lord, forgive me. It's an obscure thing. But the Holy Spirit took something that I've read hundreds of times before and He spoke to me in a fresh way and He says, don't do that. Don't do that. There have been times in my life where the Holy Spirit has said, don't do that, and there's absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong with it. But it had become an obsession in my life it becomes something that I was giving too much attention to in my life. And the Holy Spirit said, put it down. Don't do that. Don't go there. Thank God. Because I love Him. You love Him. Before we close this morning, I need to say this. As I mentioned earlier, this is a hard message to preach not because it's not truth. It, it is. It, it's all truth. But because we are so quickly characterized, easily characterized as, as Christians, as people who focus in on the don't. I again challenge you. Serve Jesus Christ with a passion. Do what He calls you to do. 
Enjoy the things that He has blessed you with and given you. Enjoy them. Eat of the fruit of that tree. Glory to God. If God said, eat from it, then eat from it. But if He said, don't, then don't even go near it. But if you have, and by the way, we all have. We've all touched the tree, so to speak. We've all done things that this Word says we shouldn't do. We've all done the don'ts. So this is some really good news for all of us. Jesus Christ forgives. And Jesus Christ restores. And Jesus Christ redirects. And so this morning, as a closing of our time, the last thing that I want you to do is go out of here going, oh, I've done so many of the don'ts, and there's no hope for me. Oh, let me tell you, let me tell you, and I speak with you, I'm, we're all in this together. As one who has done the don'ts, Jesus Christ forgives, and Jesus Christ restores, and Jesus Christ redirects. So this morning, I want, I want you to get a hold of that. I want you to hold real tightly to that this morning. I'd like you to bow your heads, and then we're going to close in just a few minutes. But before we go any further, I just want to pray with you. In fact, while, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I've re referenced a couple of times today about relationship, that our relationship with God is paramount, that our relationship with Him is everything. Our relationship with Him is the beginning of all the good things that God has for us. If you've never yet, or if it's been a long time and you're just not really sure, if you have not yet begun that relationship, I want to pray with you this morning. So before we go any further, before we close, is there anyone here that would say, yeah, that's me, I want to, I want to pray. Uh, I, I want to start that relationship. I, I, want to, I want to begin that. That's where it starts. Is there anyone here I can just pray with just real quickly? It's very important. Not seeing any hands on, let me say this pray with you. Your heads are continued to be bowed, your eyes closed. And I don't want you to raise your hands because every hand should be raised in, ask, in answer to this question. And that is here, who's blown it? And all of our hands would go up. We've all blown it. We've all ate of some tree that God said don't. We've all ignored senses even gone to the point of touching it, ingesting it. But Jesus Christ heals. So if that's you this morning and you've not yet asked God to forgive you of that, this is a great time. It may have happened as recent as this morning. It may be something you'd even just contemplated or you're thinking about or you're about to just go into it and say I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to quit fighting I'm going to get into it. If that's you this morning then this message is directly for you but it's actually for all of us. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus I thank you for the ways in which you speak to us through your word. I thank you for putting on my heart the importance of preaching this message. Thank you, Lord, that you say do. Thank you that you tell us and you give us so much to experience, so many good things, so many rich things, and even and, and many of them this side of heaven. 
we have heaven to look forward to, but you've given us and blessed us with so much here. May we do those things. May we experience those things. May we enjoy the things that you have given us. Lord, you also said, don't. And some of us, all of us, have at some point done the don'ts. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you heal us? Would you deliver us? If it's been ingested, if it's been even taken and held closely, maybe even defended, maybe encouraged others to do it, we know and we recognize filth for what it is. Lord, would you heal us and deliver us and reestablish us and redirect us? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the freedom that is in you. I thank you for the healing that is you in you. I thank you for the deliverance that is in you. That's why we've gathered here. We did not gather here today, Lord, for the purpose of condemnation. We came, Lord, for the purpose of consecration. Thank you, Lord. Set us apart. Consecrate us. Heal us and deliver us again, Lord Jesus. May we go in this pl- from this place in victory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? I want to ask God's blessing on you as, you as we close. Lord, thank you that how high and how deep and how great is your love for me. Thank you, Lord. We declared it before. We declare it again now. And I ask, Lord Jesus, as we go, as we go from this place today, that we would go in your power and in your victory. Thank you, Jesus, for the do's. And thank you for the don'ts. And thank you for what you're going to do in us. And thank you for what you've done in us. And thank you for what you're going to do in others. Thank you, Jesus, for the lives that are going to be set free in the days and in the weeks ahead. Thank you, Jesus, that you're going to use us to that end. We give you the glory and we give you the praise. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it this morning, say amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, these altars are always open. If you want to spend some time with the Lord, please come forward. God bless you this morning.